This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible reading, gun toting, Air Force veteran, wife, and mom, righteously American. Welcome, welcome to Stacy on the Right here on LifeSet TV. Let me tell you something. You might have checked, you might have noticed that I'm in favor of President Trump being reelected. But why? Well, because he's better for all Americans. But specifically, I like to speak to how he's better for Black Americans because I happen to be Black. Uh, I also like to speak about that because it is the one constituency group of both parties that has been neglected. Democrats take the Black vote for granted, and Republicans often feel that they're um, discounted, they're unable to even speak to Black people because of the constant vilification of Republicans as racists. And so that leaves Black Americans with a very untenable position. Things that could be offered to Black voters, things that would make a huge difference in their lives, are often overlooked. So for the first time since I've been voting, I've seen one individual and his administration not just say they want the black vote, but actually actively court it and chase after it. And not in tiny ways. Uh, there's been a huge proliferation of fantastic ideas coming out of the Trump White House, but there's also been action behind it. So I wanna talk about that a little bit tonight. Um, and, and there's another thing. We have to get into a little bit of this coronavirus information. And I'm not doing any like hard reporting on coronavirus because you can get that from your regular news outlets. But I found a video clip of some reporting out of China where they're kind of speculating, and, and this is beyond the speculation of people who live here in the Western world. I'm talking about people who are actually in China who have some credibility because they're in the province where the virus originated. And they're saying there is a bio lab there. And that that biolab could be the inflection point, the beginning of all of this, where the virus originated and was transmitted to humans and then spread out outside, first inside China and then outside of China to the rest of the world. So we'll get into that a little bit towards the end of the program. But right now, I found this video clip. It's President Trump, and he's uh, at the the at a presentation, and the presentation is about. Um, the purpose of the Opportunity and Revitalization Council. It's headed up by Dr. Ben Carson, who is the Secretary of HUD, and Scott Turner. Scott Turner is speaking here, and you've got to see this. This, this, is, this is the juice right here. This, to me, it is the epitome of what we've seen with President Trump in his efforts to try to reach the Black voter. And it, it, obviously, there are so many areas in which Black voters have concerns. And, and before we watch it, I just have to say, for the good of the order, just to be on the record yet again, for the one millionth time, perhaps I'll say this, Black voters have the same issues that they can care about and are concerned with as everyone else. It's not just taxes or uh, social programs or incarceration. We care about other things too, foreign policy, domestic policy, um, jobs. We care about the GDP. The fact that Democrats have convinced all of America through their media apparatus that the only things we care about are whether or not people are released from jail early or are incarcerated, 
which this is obviously a concern, but that can't be our only concern. Uh, it, it really smacks of an elitist attitude towards black people. And that comes straight from the Democrats. For all of the talk about Republicans being racist, it has always been the Republicans who have said, we wanna to talk to blacks about education. Because we care about that. We have kids, we get educations. Uh, we, we want to know more about plans that can make good educational options, excellent options available to people who are in the lower socioeconomic strata and options that can help people who have made it into the middle class be able to afford to access some of those better options like private school, Christian school, parochial school, independent schools, charter schools, you know, school choice. Who talks to black voters about that? Well, the Republicans. So let's first listen to this. It's it's uh, Scott Turner. He's at the Opportunity and Revitalization, Revitalization Council. And he is this amazing, it's just like, you gotta hear this, you're gonna love it. It's cut one. See, poverty, See, poverty it has no, it favorite. Has no favorite. Poverty, poverty is in the black community. It's in the white community. It's urban, it's rural, it's tribal, it's suburban. We've been to 38 cities in the last 15 weeks. And I've seen some of the worst cities in our country from coast to coast, tip to tip, and even in the heartland. And one thing I've learned is that poverty does not care what you look like. It doesn't care where you come from. But I've had an old saying that I like to teach my son. We fight fire with fire. The name of this council is the White House Opportunity and Revitalization Council. Revitalize means to imbue with new life. It means to reinvigorate, to re-energize. Revitalization also has no color. Revitalization has no party, ladies and gentlemen. Revitalization starts in the heart of every man and every woman. And our goal here, our mission, and thank uh, President Trump and his administration for the courage and the vision for this. Our mission is, yes, it's job creation, it's new businesses, it's housing, but it is the eradication of poverty in our nation, a systemic problem that has crippled this nation for a long time. And we're here and we need all of you. We spoke to the HBCU conference yesterday. We need everyone in this room, one, to pray for our leadership, to pray what we're doing, and number two, see how you can get involved to bring about revitalization where you live. Doesn't matter, black, white, Democrat, Republican, doesn't matter. Revitalization starts in. So he is smack on. Like that is the epitome of what we're looking for in people who are working in government, right? For them to see a problem and not just talk about it, not just run on it, but actually do something about it. So he spoke about prayer, which, again, that is something that we have not seen from previous presidents, the open willingness to admit that government solutions by themselves, they don't work. You can have the fantastic, excellent, most well-researched, well-thought-out, well-planned-for, well-attended-to-by-experts plan and have it fail, totally crash and bomb, if it's not covered in prayer. This is the fundamental basic underpinning of everything that we do, that we pray over our work. So listening to Mr. Turner, he's talking about this program. And so here's, here's, here's my thing. I love it because I know that it was something that President Trump has spoken about before he was president. 
And I also love it because he went into the community and found some individuals, Dr. Carson and Mr. Turner. And he said, you guys come to me with what you think are solutions here. President Trump loves to get experts, have them weigh in and then make a choice based on their recommendations. So it's really wise counsel that's being sought and implemented. But let's talk a little bit about this program and what it does. There are three actual aspects to it. The initiative's work is organized into three primary areas of focus. They're programs, they're embedded, ongoing, longer-term activities singularly owned by the initiative. So singularly owned, meaning they're not spread out among other agencies. They don't have other, uh, just, how can I describe this? Other, Other fingers in the pot, fingers in the soup. It's out there as a knowledge, but it's controlled by the initiative. Now, these can be, efforts that are collaboratively delivered, but the main focus is on keeping it among the people who have created the program. Now, the projects themselves are finite in duration. They have discretionary actions, often outside the initiatives, federal agencies or private sector actors, day-to-day organizational activities. They're designed to accelerate the desired performance in a targeted area. These short-term efforts are generally jointly owned and delivered by the initiative with others and act as boosters to accelerate HBCU competitiveness. And next, lastly, policies are influential actors written or oral expressions of important public objectives and priorities. These actors can be public sector, like local, state, federal, executive, legislative, agency level, or private sector, which could be industry, philanthropic, educational, or advocacy groups. Now, here's why this is so important. They've actually delineated how they can bring in outside help while still maintaining command and control and impact the lives of Americans in a positive way. Now, it takes time to see the results of initiatives like this. It's it's not like you create an initiative, you start it up, you're good to go. It's like, hey, we hit the ground running and everything's fixed in 12 months. Human problems take many, many, many years often to solve, but you can see shifts immediately. I was thinking about the relationship that the president has actually started up with the heads of the HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities. It started off with a meeting where Kellyanne Conway sat on the couch and it made a big, you know, it was trending on Twitter and it was pretty awful. Um, The meeting went well, but the publicity surrounding it was not that great. But that was the introduction between those heads of colleges and the president. And so it was like the first meeting. And then there was some funding that was released and then they met again. And again, there was a lot of negative coverage and those who attended the meeting were given really negative, like, oh my goodness, you're so horrible. How could you meet with President Trump? But the result of that meeting was the largest issuance of funding from the federal government to HBCUs and the history of HBCUs. That's under President Trump. So I go back to who's better for Black Americans. Instead of just addressing the First Step Act and you know, shortening sentences, giving clemency, offering people a second chance who've been incarcerated for extra long times, the people who really are outside of the sentencing mandates that are currently in, in effect. The question is, is that all that the, the Democrats think about when they're looking at Black Americans? Well, they just need, you know, we, we just need to do something about incarceration. Well, of course. I mean, there are advocates for that in the Black community, but it's not the only thing. So he's striking out and saying, let's do something about education, opportunity and revitalization council. I mean, come on, this is amazing. This is amazing. It's an opportunity for us to see someone put the pedal to the metal and actually do something that they promised. So we have to follow it then. 
that that's that's our job. Our job is to say, okay, you did a good thing. How can we follow this on? How how can we keep track of what you're doing? How you know you set up a Google alert for uh, the name of it is Opportunity and Revitalization Council. You set up a Google alert for Scott Turner. Uh, every morning when you check your email, you'll see that those individuals, if there's anything that they've put out, any stories with their name in it will show up and you can click through and read them. And you can watch the development of this initiative. You can also sign up for the White House email list where they send out their press releases. Those are open to the public and anyone can sign up and you can follow up with what he's doing on this particular aspect. There are other things the president's doing to improve the lives of Americans, all Americans, which includes black Americans. But there are some very specific things that he's doing to show black America that not only is Black America a part of the larger whole, but an important voter block, regardless of percentage of population, people who deserve to have their votes earned. That's a difference. That's a monumental shift in the way we've been treated as people by Democrats and Republicans over the past administrations. The question is, will the Democrats follow suit or will they continue to simply bludgeon anyone that isn't a Democrat with the race card. You're a racist, you're a racist, you're a racist. Yeah, but what does that do for Black Americans? What kind of policy initiatives go along with the accusation of racism? What else have you got? As my mom likes to say, what else you got? <laughs> okay, so let's move over to the coronavirus. I, I think this is an interesting report. It suggests that the coronavirus was being developed as a bioweapon and then either accidentally or intentionally was released into the population and now it's wreaking all of this havoc. Uh, it's also worth noting that some of the reporting out there shows that the mortality rate is about two and a half percent. In the United States, the mortality rate for the flu, which is something that people are comparing this to, it's like a really, really bad version of the flu. The mortality rate for the flu is 0.01% of people who get the flu actually die from it. So that is what, 20 times the rate for the um, for mortality rate for the flu for the coronavirus. So that's an interesting statistic to look at. Obviously, we don't have firm numbers that we can rely on as bedrock fact because we still haven't seen the extent of the actual infection. We don't know how many people are truly infected inside of China. We have numbers from there, but there is a lot of speculation that those numbers are not accurate. And we also haven't seen it run its full course. We don't know if it's going to actually peter off once the weather warms up. Will it kind of go away the way the normal flu does, or will it continue to be passed on and will there, will there be new infections? So there's a lot of questions out there, but this report was interesting. Let's take a look, it's cut three. As the world struggles to contain the new virus, a new speculation from the Chinese scientists who believe it may have originated at a research facility not far from the Wuhan fish market. While they say more research needs to be done to find solid proof, such labs are known to contain disease-ridden animals, including hundreds of bats. Our Kim Hyo-san with the details. Amid the continued spread of the COVID-19 virus, there's rising speculation the virus could have originated from a government laboratory in Wuhan rather than the widely held belief that it emerged from the city's Huanan seafood markets. Citing a report published by Chinese scientists, a Chinese-language newspaper published in Hong Kong, Mingpao, and the British daily The Mirror, explained Sunday that the Wuhan Center for Disease Control, or WHCBC, could have spawned the contagion in Hubei province. 
According to the report penned by Bo Taoxiao and Lei Xiao at the South China University of Technology, the research lab, which is only 280 meters away from the Huanan Seafood Market, kept disease-ridden animals, including more than 600 bats. It's stated that while it's plausible the virus was leaked from the lab and contaminated initial patients in this epidemic, more solid evidence is required through future study. The report also raised a possibility that the Wuhan Institute of Virology could have leaked the virus while it was carrying out tests involving Chinese horseshoe bats. Against such a backdrop, an article published by the Washington Times late last month is garnering attention as it raised the possibility that the disastrous outbreak could be the accidental result of biological weapons research. This comes as a renowned law professor at Tsinghua University in Beijing, Xu Jiangren, is known to be missing after publicly condemning Chinese President Xi Jinping for failing to contain the spread of the virus at an early stage. He even added the condemnation could be the last message of his life. Kim Hyo-san, Arirá News. Wow, so a lot of information there. Um, so my response to all the information about it is, obviously, we're all traveling, and we saw a, a story um, out of the, the they're calling it the coronavirus ship, which is kind of terrible, but one of the cruise ships that was docked in Japan that had trouble finding somewhere to actually let the people off, and it turns out they have, I think, 2,700 passengers, and over 400 of them have the coronavirus. And so some of them are Americans, and they've been evacuated. Some have been evacuated in a quarantine plane, if you will. All of the people who are being evacuated off of the ship will, when they land here in the United States at an Air Force base in California and one in Texas, they will be quarantined for an additional two weeks to make sure that they're not carriers of the virus to pass on. And so in light of that, we're, we're kind of seeing what people are coming out of there to here. And so there was a couple on there where they lied and said they hadn't tested positive, but they had. And so they were riding in, you know, one of the plane, I guess, cabins and they were, you know, obviously they shouldn't have been. Um, so there's, there's going to be some of that. And there's, there may perhaps be other infections that happen in the United States. And from what I've read about the coronavirus, there's an article uh, online from someone out of China who did a lengthy interview about what it felt like. He's on the other side. He's actually survived the coronavirus. Um, there are some reports about the autopsies that have been done on some of the bodies that of, of coronavirus patients who've passed away. And um, it looks like there's a SARS-type um, scarring that goes on in the lungs that remains with a patient who's had the coronavirus. They, they can't definitively predict that will happen to everyone, obviously, because they have not done autopsies on every person who's died from the illness. Um, but there's, there's, you know, this is a long road in figuring out exactly what happens once you've had it and how far it will spread. So the bedrock of where we can go with this is obviously you can you can be fearful. You can think to yourself, wow, people are lying and getting onto you know transportation and possibly spreading the virus. Well, that's going to happen because people are going to people. Uh, it's a horrible thing. Those people should somehow be punished for doing that. But people are going to misbehave and not follow directions. So what can we do? Well, we can pray. First of all, we can pray for the people of China. They're suffering under a communist regime that actually sacrificed the people of Wuhan province so that they could contain the virus and make sure that it wouldn't be a public relations nightmare for them. So they were more concerned about what people around the world would say about China than they were about their own people. That's communism for you. The lesson here is don't be in a communist country. If you have freedom, don't vote for socialism, which is the precursor to communism. But the bigger lesson is obviously we should be praying for them. 
We should be praying for our country, for the stop of the spread of the coronavirus, and just being positive and trying to, um, you know, keep up the, the good face. You know what I mean? We can't be fearful about this. We can't be running around scared. And obviously, there, there's some benefit to us, you know, here in this country, being Americans, we have access to much better medical care. We don't have to wait in huge, long you know, lines or queue up for days on end to try to get seen by a doctor. And we have, uh, because our, our overall health is generally better and we have better food, we, you know, our, our actual diets are of a high quality. Um, we don't respond to illnesses in the same way that sometimes other people groups do. So that being said, let's just pray for the people of China and for their leadership that they would be wise and for uh, the economic impacts that we'll be experiencing because so much of what we consume on a daily basis, the products that we buy, is generated out of China in their factories. I saw a survey that said that up to 30% of companies that have manufacturing facilities in China are actually considering moving those out of China and the coronavirus uh, spread is the actual inflection point for that. So we'll see what happens, but that's the show for today. Thank you for watching Life Set TV. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. God bless.